So please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, as, uh, as Jen read for us. We're going we're gonna to kind of be in verses 22 through 26, but we're also going to jump to another passage as well, so you can kind of put your finger there. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the main point of one of the messages was this, the table you sit at determines where your heart's at. Meaning, the table you sit at, that is the, the people you most open your life to, the things you most give your life to, they are going to shape your heart. The, the table you sit at is going to define you. It's going to give you your sense of identity and who you are. It's also going to shape what you give your life to, the priorities and the values, the things you will sacrifice and bleed and die for will be shaped by the things you give yourself to. And so for us as Christians, what table we sit at absolutely matters. Sitting at the table of Christ and letting him define our identity, him define who we are and what we give our lives to is of the utmost importance. But it's not just individually. We also recognize that the table we sit at together also determines where our heart is at together. Because understand this, we can profess Christ and we can say we are a community of Christ, a church, but the way we live our lives, both individually and as a community, can be very inconsistent with that profession, if not outright contradict it. Because friends, we can say we're united in Christ. We can say we're a gospel-centered church, but the way we live our lives can show actually we're united by politics or ethnicity or stage of life or how we educate our kids. Well, we can say we're united by Christ, but the way we actually live shows that we're united by something else. And when that happens, friends, we step into a very dangerous place spiritually, a very dangerous place relationally as well. And this is why participating in the Lord's Supper becomes one of the most vital things that Christians can do. Because at the Lord's Supper, here's what we're declaring. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we're saying that those who put their trust in Christ now sit at the table of Christ, meaning our identity is defined by him. What we do with our lives, what we give our hearts to, our values, our priorities are all shaped by him. And not only that, us as a community together, we're defined by him, we're united by him, and our lives together are defined by him. Because friends, when we miss, when we miss that we sit at the table of Christ and we begin to sit at lesser tables, the effect that it has on us both individually and a community becomes quite dangerous and weird. And this is Paul's concern at the end here of 1 Corinthians 11. Here were a group of Christians that were clicky and selfish and prideful and justifying sin and, and really doing all the things that a Christian community should not, and yet they would gather at the Lord's table together and participate in this act of worship together, and things were getting weird. What happens when clicky, selfish, prideful Christians come together and participate in the Lord's Supper? What kind of things can go wrong? Well... Stay tuned for next week, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> this week, what I want to do is I actually want to step outside of the main argument and the main point of this passage, and I want to look just more closely at the Lord's Supper. Like, what is the Lord's Supper? What does it mean? Why do, why do we do it? 
Because if we're going to really understand the force of Paul's point here at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, we need to have, in some ways, a deeper understanding of what the Lord's Supper means, what, what communion means. Now, you may be in here and you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for a while, and so I, I get it, I understand what this is. This is about remembering Jesus, and we, we kind of go through this, this action, these actions to, to remember Christ. Yes, yes, but... If, even if you've been practicing the Lord's Supper for, for decades, or even if you're, you're new to the Lord's Supper, I, I want us to deepen our understanding of this. Here, here's a way for me to, to kind of get inside this. Christian, if you were to stop practicing the Lord's Supper for the rest of your life until Jesus came back or you died, would that have any impact on your, in your walk with the Lord? If your answer is no, That's a bad place to be. I'm just I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna put it generously. If your answer is no, then you are missing out on something absolutely essential and vital to your walk with the Lord. Jesus gave this to us for a reason. It's not just some sort of empty ritual that we go through. It is vital. And I hope this morning you will see that. If you're here this morning and you're you're not a believer and you're you've heard of this, this, this communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, depending on the, the tradition that you've been around, and, and you're kind of like, I, I think I know what that's about. Christians eat bread and they drink wine or juice, and, and it's kind of this thing that they do on Sundays. Well, I hope this morning you deepen your understanding and you see this isn't just empty ritual for Christians. It actually has profound meaning significant meaning, and I hope it provokes some questions about what it means to actually follow Jesus and what, what it means to be a Christian. And so this is where we're going to go this morning, and the title of my message this morning is this, Dining with Our Deliverer. And the main point for us this morning is this, at Christ's table, we are secured in past redemption, sustained by present grace, and strengthened with future hope. At Christ's table, we are secured in past redemption, sustained by present grace, and strengthened with future hope. And so first, let's consider what it means that we're secured in past redemption. In verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And then he goes and proceeds to give the instruction for the Lord's Supper. Now, the words that Paul writes to the Corinthians mirror the words that we find in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it makes sense because the same instruction that Jesus gave his disciples there at that meal is the same instruction that he gave to the Apostle Paul. And so for us to better understand what the Lord's Supper is, let's actually jump back to one of those accounts. So please turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 29. And as you're turning there, let me set a little context for you. So Jesus was sitting with his disciples, and they were celebrating the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was this yearly celebration where the people of Israel would, re would remember God redeeming them out of slavery in Egypt. So for 430 years, Israel was enslaved to Egypt. And so to rescue them, God raises up a man named Moses, and he sends Moses to the Pharaoh, and, and Moses says, I'm here in the name of the Lord, and you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, no way that's happening. We're getting good slave labor out of this. It's not going to happen. And so what God ends up doing is he sends 10 plagues, 10 judgments on Egypt. And the final one, sort of the, the, the one that, that sort of is the final blow, the final strike, is that judgment passes into the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of every living thing dies. 
And so for Israel to escape that judgment, God instructs them to kill a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, and to put the, the blood of that lamb above their doorposts. And as the angel of the Lord passed through the land of Egypt and passed those doorposts with blood, they would pass over, hence the term Passover, and would not judge those homes. And so through that, through the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, Israel was saved from judgment. And this moment of salvation for Israel became sort of this ongoing memorial to say, God is faithful to save. Anytime that we're in trouble, no matter how dark, no matter how, how bad it gets in our nation's history, we can look back and see God is faithful to save. God is a rescuer and a redeemer. And so Passover became this important historical moment and this ceremony where they commemorated that God was faithful to save. And in this meal then, God gave Israel a sign and the seal of his redemption. You see, throughout redemptive history, if you read throughout the Bible, whenever God makes a promise, he, he, he gives sort of a visual aid to that promise, something physical, something tangible to say this is true. So we see this when he makes a promise with Noah, gives the rainbow. When he makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, gives him the sign of circumcision. These signs and these seals were to remind the people of God, hey, this is true. This is real. And so the Passover, this Passover meal, through the eating and the drinking and the touching and the tasting, were physical objects by which Israel was reminded God is faithful. God will save. God will keep his promise. It isn't a pipe dream. It isn't just happy, good feels. No, God actually entered into history. He actually redeemed. He actually saved. And we are reminded and we are strengthened in that promise by eating this meal, by going through things with our physical bodies, physical actions. So that's the subtext and the, and the background for what Jesus and his disciples are doing. And so as Jesus is eating with his disciples and they're celebrating this meal to commemorate God's greatest redemptive act, Jesus does something incredibly radical. He shifts the meaning of the meal away from the Passover event to himself. This is what he says in verses 25 through 28 of Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins, the hope of salvation that you've had, Israel, the promise of the forgiveness of sins, that's now found in me, Jesus says. That, that great historical moment that you look back to, that, that, that moment where God puts his saving power on display, that moment that is now going to define all of your hope and all of your expectations and give you confidence that I am faithful, Jesus said, it's not going to be the Passover event anymore. It's going to be what I accomplish in my death and resurrection. Jesus is shifting their whole sense of the, the grounding and the confidence in God's power to save away from this moment into himself. That Passover lamb, that wasn't the be all and end all. That lamb was pointing to a greater lamb, the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sin, not just of Israel, but the entire world. The, the sign and seal that was to give you confidence is now pointing to me, Jesus says. You eat to be strengthened in what I am going to accomplish. 
He shifts the meaning to himself, this, this past redemption that Israel was, that gave them so much confidence, Jesus was, gonna, was saying, now that past redemption is what I accomplish. This was to be Israel and the entire world's hope. And friends, for us today, this past redemption, this past redemption is something that we look back to to be secured in. Because let's be honest, like life is difficult, right? Life isn't easy. There's sin that we battle. There's suffering. There's pain. There's failure. There's hardship. The world's going crazy. And in the midst of all of that, what can happen? We can get punched in the gut by life, and it can bring us to our knees, and we lose a sense of confidence. We lose that sense that God is faithful. We begin to doubt. We begin to ask questions. God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you going to save? Are you going to redeem? And so our confidence gets rattled and shaken. But in the Lord's Supper, here's what we have. We have a security that God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. We are secured. We are, we are solidified in that hope that we have. Because when we take the bread and we take the cup it, through our physical actions, through eating and drinking and tasting and touching and smelling, when we go through these things with our bodies, we're being reminded Jesus really did die. He, he, he really did come to this earth. He really did die. He really was buried. He was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. And as we come forward and we participate in this meal, here's what we're saying. My security is not in politics and political leader. My security is not in my education or technology or medicine. My security is not in my own ingenuity and my own strength to figure things out and get things done. No, my security is in Christ and what he's done. I'm secure in past redemption. I'm secure in God's faithfulness to save. Friends, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, when we come to this table, we are being secured and strengthened in what Christ has accomplished. Secured in past redemption. But we're not just secured in the past. The Lord's Supper also sustains us by present grace. Meaning there's grace for us now. It's not just something we look back to. It's, it's something that's active and powerful today. You see, just like your body needs present nourishment, you need to eat meals in the present to be sustained, our souls need spiritual nourishment to be sustained. We need the grace of Christ. We are absolutely dependent upon Christ spiritually for our nourishment. So we have to feast on Christ, as it were. And what are the ways we do that? Well, we can feast on him in his word, in prayer, in worship. Uh, these, are, these are ways that we, we, we feast on Christ so that he can sustain us and strengthen us. And here's the beautiful truth of the gospel, that if you are in Christ, you've been united to Christ, and his spirit is at work in you. His spirit is at work in you. He is sustaining you. He is transforming you. He is at work in your life. But we forget that. We sometimes forget that. The, 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 the sin that just kind of clings and we continually battle, the, the, the suffering and the pain that we face, the, the, the fact that, hey, being a parent is hard, marriage is hard, work is hard, our, our plans and our efforts often fail and fall through. Like there's a fog that can come over us in our daily life. And, and in that fog... 
we can feel like everything is falling apart, everything is going to hell, everything is a mess, and we can forget that we are actually united to Christ and he is sustaining us. He is transforming us. And here's what else happens in the midst of that fog. We start trying to take control. We start grabbing after control. We start to put forth more effort and more effort thinking if I just try harder, then things will get better. If I just put forward more of my effort and my strength and my intelligence, if I can just get control of my life, then I'll be all right. And so we both forget and then we fight harder. But here's what the Lord's Supper reminds us. The Lord's Supper reminds us that the nourishment we need doesn't come through our own efforts. The nourishment and the power that we need doesn't come through us. In fact, when we come to the Lord's Supper, here's what Christ does. He sets before us, he sets before us physical objects to lift our gaze out of the fog, out of the haze, out of the confusion, to declare, I'm your nourishment. I'm going to sustain you. Christ invites us to his table to see in the bread and in the cup, hey, I'm nourishing you. I'm your strength. I'm your supply. In the midst of all of our suffering and our pain and our struggle, Christ invites us to a table and he gives us a sign that says, anyone who is weary and weak and worn out, come to me and I will nourish you. I will refresh you. In the sign, bread, in the cup, Christ declares to us, I'm your nourishment. I am going to sustain you. I am at work in you. I love the way that uh, John Calvin puts this in describing the way that the Lord's Supper points us to the nourishment that Christ gives. He writes this, from the physical things set forth in the Lord's Supper, we are led by a sort of analogy to spiritual things. Thus, when bread is given as a symbol of Christ's body, we must at once grasp this comparison. As bread nourishes, sustains, and keeps the life of our body, so Christ's body is the only food to invigorate and enliven our soul. When we see wine set forth as a symbol of blood, we must reflect on the benefits, benefits which wine imparts to the body, and so realize that the same are spiritually imparted to us by Christ's blood. These benefits are to nourish refresh, strengthen, and gladden. Are you in need of refreshment? Are you in need of strength? Are you in need of nourishment? To experience the refreshing and the nourishing and the gladdening and the strengthening. He invites you to come and take hold of the promise that his body is true food and his blood is true drink, and they nourish us, they feed us to eternal life. Hey, are, you, are you condemned? Are you feeling condemned this morning? As you walk in here feeling condemned, weighed down by the guilt of your sin, Christ invites you to his table to remind you that through his body and blood, you have the redemption of sins, forgiveness of sins, and be strengthened by that. Are you feeling the, 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 the sort of, I am stuck in my sin, I'm, I, I'm trapped, I, I can't get out of this sin pattern? Are you feeling weighed down by that this morning? Christ invites you to come to his table and, and reminds you that if you are in Christ, you have died to that sin, died to that old man, and you've been raised to new life and to be 
encouraged by that, encouraged at his table. Do you come this morning and you're worn out because you're trying to perform? You're trying to grab identity. You're trying to prove yourself. You're running around trying to validate and find a sense of worth through your effort and your performance. Christ invites you to his table and he reminds you that you stand before God loved and accepted not because of your performance, but because of his righteousness. He reminds you at his table you don't have to perform. You don't have to earn anything that he has earned it all for you and you stand fully righteous because you're in him and he invites you to be sustained by that. Do you come this morning beaten and worn out and weary because your body feels like a prison? Sickness, mental health struggles, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, Things that remind you that this body is broken and it's just exhausting living in it. Christ invites you to come to his table and he reminds you that you are loved. The Father has not abandoned you. You have been adopted as a child, as a son, as a daughter. God is with you and he loves you. And one day he's going to set you free from that and that you can, at this table, find rest. Rest for that angst, rest for that pain, rest for all of that soul weariness. Christ invites you to come to his table and experience rest, experience nourishment, experience strength, experience refreshment. And here's here's what's great about the Lord's Supper. Here's what's great about this table. It takes us right to Jesus. It's not, hey, here's five steps to a, a happier marriage, or here's better steps to being a parent, or here's all these things that you need to do. It's just come to Christ. Come and be nourished by him. Come and bring all that you are, all your brokenness, all your pain, all your sin, to all that he is, and let him be your supply. When we come forward at the Lord's Supper, here's what we're saying. We are spiritually hungry and needy and can't fill ourselves. Jesus, we need you. And Jesus says, everything I am for all that you need. Let me be your nourishment. Let me be your refreshment. Let me be your strength. This is the beautiful promise that we have. Present grace, friends, present grace. And this present grace happens as we remember, as we continually remember what Jesus has done. And now this act of remembrance, this is so important, this is so important, is not just a mental exercise. This is not just memory here. Actually, remembrance is an act of fellowship. As God told his people in Exodus 20, 24, in every place that I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Notice the connection. Every time I cause my name to be remembered, what's going to happen? I'm going to be there to bless you. The act of remembrance is an act of fellowship. So think of remembrance this way. It's not like in memory of somebody who is dead and gone and isn't present. No, it's a commemorative celebration. It's like a birthday or an anniversary where you're remembering somebody who's present and that person present promises to bless everyone who is part of the celebration. Our remembrance is an act of fellowship. This is what Paul's point was back in chapter 10 where he said to, to partake of the Lord's Supper is to participate, to fellowship with his body and with his blood. 
Now, this doesn't mean we believe that the the bread and the cup are actually Jesus' body and actually his blood, but make no mistake, Jesus is present. He is spiritually present in this meal. When you come forward and receive the bread and the cup, you are receiving Christ. His grace is working in you. His power is working in you. This isn't empty ritual, friends. In every place that I cause my name to be remembered, I will come and bless. Christ is blessing. When we come to the table, we really are getting Christ. Present grace to sustain us. And let's not forget, friends, that this is for not just us individually, but it's for us as a church. Just as we are strengthened individually, we are also strengthened as a community. We are reminded when we come to this table that this table is not a table for two. It's not just you and Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. The table is big and the fellowship is vast. It's all of us together coming. And we are nourished and we are strengthened together. And this is powerful and this is important. We're going to talk more about this next week. But in a culture that is so divided and is hating each other, at this table, Christians are united. At this table, we are united as one. We are united in Christ. Because we experience grace at this table, we now live as those who are gracious. Because we've experienced forgiveness at this table, we forgive other people. Because we've experienced love at this table, we're now those who love. Because we've experienced peace at this table, we're now those who go and live at peace. And when we come to this table, what we're saying is this. It's not politics that unite us. It's not vaccination status that unites us. It's not ethnicity that unites us. It's not social class that unites us. It's Christ. And at his table, we are nourished together and united together. At the table of Christ, we are sustained by present grace. Finally, at the table of Christ, we are strengthened with future hope. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus says, but I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As important as it is to look back and see what Christ has accomplished and be secured in that, as important as it is to know that there is present grace for us now, It's also important for us to recognize that we eat with future hope. We eat with anticipation. Friends, you know it's not always going to be this way, right? The the, the sin that you struggle with, you're not going to struggle with forever. The the, the suffering that we experience and we have to endure, we're not going to have to endure forever. The, The pain and brokenness that you carry in your body you're not going to carry that forever. The, 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 the hardships that we face, the sadness, the loneliness, the frustration, we're not going to experience that forever. One day, sin will be gone. One day, suffering will be over. One day, we're not going to be lonely and frustrated. We're not going to be anxious. We're not going to have to battle depression anymore. One day, when the, when the kingdom of God fully transforms all that there is and renews and restores all things, these things will pass away. And here's what we get to do. Eat this meal with Jesus face to face. 
We are going to eat this in his father's kingdom someday. And every time we come to this table, we're reminded of that future hope. We're reminded that one day things are going to be different. It's not always going to be this way. There's not always going to be PTSD. There's not always going to be OCD. There's not always going to be chronic pain. There's not always going to be addiction to things like pornography and drugs. There's not going to always be anger and conflict with your spouse. There's not always going to be rebellion. I could just go on and on, but just, friends, it's not always going to be this way. And when we come forward, we're declaring and reminding ourselves someday. <laughs> someday. Someday we're going to do this with Jesus and it's going to be glorious. The book of Isaiah talks about the meal that we're going to have one day. This is what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he saved us. This is the Lord we have waited for. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Friends, someday we're going to feast like we've never feasted before. And like any good feast, we're going to tell stories. We're going to tell stories. We're going to marvel at the grace of God. Some of you are going to be like, hey, remember how I was the one you all thought he was the last person on the earth that he would ever save? And yet here I am. Remember how our marriage was a wreck and how he redeemed it? Remember how I was enslaved to addiction and he rescued me and he sustained me through the pain of coming out of that? Remember how I walked with anxiety and depression and God carried me through that? Remember the ways that I used to, to struggle with anger and yet God's grace forgave me and set me free? Or we're going to tell stories and we're going to marvel at the way that God was at work and we're going to sit at this incredible feast and go, man, this is the God that we waited for and he saved us. He did it. He did it just like he said he would. And every time we come to this table, we eat anticipating that feast, anticipating telling those stories. I mean, we have stories now, but our story's still being written. Someday we're going to be able to tell the end of the story and marvel at the fullness of God's faithfulness to us all those years. This is what we have in front of us, friends. We eat at Christ's table to be strengthened with future hope. And so I know right now it may feel like that hope is long or far in the distance. That, that it feels like pain and suffering and sin are your reality more so than any sense of hope. But this is why Christ invites you to his table. To be strengthened in that future hope. To be reminded it isn't always going to be this way and to be strengthened in that hope.
So in light of being secured in past redemption, sustained in present grace, and strengthened with future hope, do you see why Paul makes such a big deal about the Lord's Supper? Do you see why our malpractice of this could be such a big deal? And do you see, friends, why we do this every Sunday at First City? In light of the truth of what it is, and I'm not judging churches that don't do that, but in light of the truth of what this is, do you see why we come to this table every week? I mean, in light of secure, being secured in past redemption and sustained in present grace and being strengthened with future hope, the last thing in the world this should ever become is empty ritual. It should never become dry and rote and routine, just something we do every Sunday. No, it should be an opportunity every single Sunday where we experience the grace of Christ and are renewed and refreshed and strengthened. That's why we do it. That's why we do it every Sunday. It's why we want to guard the practice of this table and make sure that we are doing it in a way that honors and glorifies God because when it goes sideways, it gets ugly as we're going to see next week. And so Christ invites you to his table. He invites you to come, to be secured in past redemption, to be sustained by present grace and strengthened with future hope. And who's invited to this table? Who can come? Well, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 22 about this king who invites people to this great feast that he's throwing. And he sends out invitations. And you know who are the people that reject this invitation? It's the self-righteous and the proud and the important. Those who are too busy or think they they, they have too much going on or their, their life matters too much to come to this table. But do you know who does come? The poor, the weak, the sin sick, the worn out, the ones that know they have no business being in the presence of a king, but they come because they're needy and they're hungry, and they come because they know that they don't belong there, but this is an act of grace. So you know who's invited to this table? Those who recognize they don't belong there. Those who recognize that they have no right to be in the presence of the king. Those who recognize that there is no way I could put on good enough clothes to bring myself before the king. Because you see here at this table, the self-righteous, they're going to be offended because there is crazy grace at this table. The proud and the sinful, they're not going to want to come to this table because the body, the bread and the cup show that Jesus had to die for their sin. But if you are worn out, If you're weak, if you're humble, if you're lowly, if you're done with your sin, if you're longing and aching for Jesus to come and make all things new and make it right, he invites you to his table. He invites you to put your faith and trust in him and then come to his table. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come to his table. I want to invite you to come and be secured in past redemption sustained by present grace and strengthened with future hope. Let's pray.